Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to the top of a very high mountain. He was transformed in front of them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you want, I'll make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, look, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I dearly love. I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. Hearing this, the disciples fell on their faces, filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anybody about the vision until the human one is raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Author of life, we thank you for your word, and we ask that as we dwell with it this morning, your spirit might dwell with us so that we may be transformed in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. You may know that in seminary, I wrote a thesis about a pastor named Ernest Fremont Tittle. After a few short-lived appointments in central Ohio, he became a pastor in Evanston, Illinois for 31 years. While there, he crossed paths with some of the brightest minds of Methodism who taught at the nearby seminary, today called Garrett Evangelical. He also gained prominence on the national stage as one of the foremost public theologians. People from across the country would travel to Evanston just to hear Tittle preach. He was, in other words, someone who was not only good at our craft, but someone who approached our craft with an incredible depth of knowledge. It's also true, however, that one of his books is named after a sermon titled, The Foolishness of Preaching. And there are some days on the Christian calendar that really do make a preacher sit back and realize the foolishness of what we are trying to do up here. How, for example, does one put into words the miracle of incarnation on Christmas? It's one thing to say that God took on human form, but no words are ever sufficient to convey the majesty of what that means. Or how can one adequately describe the wonder of the resurrection on Easter morning what does one say to try and grab hold of the reality of Christ not just being resuscitated, but experiencing a triumph over death unlike anything else in the human experience? Or on Trinity Sunday, how can one simplify the three-in-one God 
in a way that makes sense without oversimplifying the issue and slipping into metaphors that fall short of the reality of God. For today, on Transfiguration Sunday, what can I say to try and make sense of what happened on that mountaintop all those centuries ago? Even the disciples who were there, who witnessed what happened, didn't know how to make sense of what was happening. Peter, well-intentioned and quick to action as he is, tries to make sense of things by giving himself something to work on. You have to think that he was in a bit of shock when he said, if you want, I'll make a dwelling place for you and for Moses and Elijah. Because it's not like these were just a couple of the guys stopping by for a chat. Suddenly, out of nowhere, Moses, the person through whom God gave the people the law, and Elijah, the prophet of prophets, show up. These are people who went to be with God hundreds of years before Peter was born. And yet they show up and Peter's response is, I could build you a dwelling place. Because I guess, what else do you do? His offer makes as much sense as anything else would in that situation. And let's not forget that while all of this is happening, Jesus had become transfigured. The Greek word is actually the same word as metamorphosis. Jesus had become something other than human in front of their eyes. His clothes which had likely been a little dirty and worn, became dazzling white. His face, also likely a bit dirty and unkempt, his hair greasy, is suddenly shining like the sun. Imagine the scene. Imagine that you're Peter or James or John. You've gone up to the mountaintop with your teacher a place where mysterious things happen with God. And suddenly, your friend and teacher is transformed into something that is both the familiar person you love and something entirely new all at the same time. Even in trying to describe this scene, I feel the foolishness of the task weighing upon me how to put into words the things that the gospel lets go unsaid, how to convey meaning beyond the words themselves. Not even the commentaries offer much help in this regard. Ulrich Luz writes, The transfiguration narrative is difficult to interpret. It contains a multitude of possible associations and reminiscences to biblical and Jewish materials. But there is no key in the tradition that completely unlocks it. Repeatedly, there are individual statements that do not fit a certain background or a certain expectation, or that fit several of them. Thus, one has the impression that the transfiguration story is distinctively of manifold meanings. In other words, we can see some of the connections But to pin down a meaning is something that has evaded us since it happened. So what are some of the connections? 
we can begin with the fact that they're on a high mountain. It was on the mountain of the Lord that Moses ascended to receive the law. It was on that same mountain that Elijah heard the small, still voice of God. God speaks to people on the mountains. So when we see Jesus taking a small handful of his disciples to head into the mountains, we have to have these stories in mind. Especially strong is this connection with Moses. As we heard in our Hebrew Bible reading this morning, Moses did not go alone to the mountain, but was followed by the elders of Israel. He left them with Aaron and Hur, but even then he did not go alone, for he set out with his assistant Joshua. Moses followed by a group of elders, Jesus followed by the disciples. Moses with Joshua goes to the top, Jesus with his closest followers, Peter, James, and John, go to the top. When Moses speaks with God, a cloud settles on the mountain. When Jesus is transformed, a cloud settles on the mountain and the voice of God speaks. These connections are unmistakable. Their meanings less clear. Is Matthew signaling that Jesus is the new Moses? This seems to fit with the earlier imagery we saw from Matthew at Christmas when Jesus was brought up out of Egypt. And yet something more happens in the moment. Jesus is not merely the new Moses. The story is familiar and something new all at the same time. When the voice of God speaks, it speaks the words that were said at the moment when John baptized Jesus. This is my son, the beloved, with whom with him I am well pleased. Matthew's story echoes itself. In these moments of revelation, the voice of God is clear and consistent. But still the story goes further than it does at the moment of baptism. The words, listen to him, are added. And we see the response of the witnesses this time. The baptism of Jesus is followed by a hard cut to Jesus heading into the wilderness. This time, we see the disciples react to encountering God so directly. They fell to the ground and were overcome with fear. And why wouldn't they? This is the true sort of awe that is meant by the word awesome. The disciples have witnessed an awesome event, an event both majestic and terrifying, inspiring and frightening. The story is something familiar and something new all at the same time. Now, even if we can't understand what it was like to see the transfiguration, if we don't know the awesome terror of having the voice of God settle as a cloud upon us, we can still know the emotions of the disciples in this moment. We can know what it is to live in a moment of fear and uncertainty, to be at the point in between the familiar things we know and the new things that are set before us. Indeed, this is much of what the experience of the new birth is like. 
when we feel the grace of God at work in our hearts, we feel the pull of our familiar lives in tension with the something new that we are being called into. When we realize the error of our sin, we can understand the awesome fear of the disciples. As we realize all the ways that our behavior has harmed ourselves and others, we can experience a conviction that feels crushing and overwhelming. And the Spirit responds to us the same way that Christ responds to his disciples. Get up and do not be afraid. And in that moment, the disciples looked up and the terror of God had dissipated. The law and the prophet no longer loomed large overhead. They heard the voice of Christ, looked up, and saw no one but Jesus standing before them. I think sometimes we can get caught in that moment of terror. We feel the responsibility of the law and the expectation of the prophets crushing down on us. We get so swept up in our feelings of inadequacy that hope seems distant. But when we hear the voice of our Savior, that all melts away. We're reminded that above all things, God loves us. We do not have to be afraid. We just have to listen. We have to hear that small, still voice that spoke to Elijah through the fire and the storm. If there is a meaning to be found in this story, the only one that works for me is love. And in our world, love seems like a foolish thing sometimes. It's the foolishness that has motivated the church and her saints through the ages. The foolishness that says to love your enemies, to give everything to the poor and the hungry, to proclaim truth and justice to the strong and the powerful. Sometimes, In the face of God, we are left without a common sense answer. And I will stake my life and my soul on that kind of foolishness. Amen. Please pray with me. God, You call us to be foolish in the eyes of the world. When nothing makes sense, remind us that love makes sense. When everything seems terrifying, remind us that your love sets us free from fear. When you speak, let us listen, so that we too might be transfigured by the Spirit. Amen.